Sir, I don't understand. That's glaringly apparent. I can't fail this class. Oh, don't sell yourself short, Mr. Coates. I truly believe that you can. Every year at Barton Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two-week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that? You know, he used to be a student, right? Yeah, that's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. Oh. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully. You just earned yourself a detention, sir. Being here with you is already one big detention. Son of a bitch, that's another detention. Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer. My father's to take dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you? There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way, and I'll stay out of yours. Let me sleep. Now, most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that, right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past, it is an explanation of the present. See, when you say it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lick down my shirt? No. <laughs> yes. You're gonna get me fired. This is your Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. The Holdovers. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by... Amir Ture. And Eric Wong. This week we are discussing director Alexander Payne's latest film, The Holdovers a 1970s Christmas comedy drama that stars Paul Giamatti, Davine Joy Randolph, and Carrie Preston. It introduces Dominic Sessa in his first on-screen role as Angus Tully. And Paul Giamatti just won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, and Davine Joy Randolph just won Best Supporting Actress. Did you guys watch the awards, by the way? I didn't, actually. I caught the last half of it. I just caught the cringe compilations of the host <laughs> joe coy i heard about that so i went back and thought maybe you know i'll see what his monologue was about and i got maybe three or four minutes in and i had to stop did a bail wow it was pretty it's hard to pretty get through bad. yeah jeez is it just bad material or is joe coy not funny because i've heard joe coy is funny he's definitely not funny oh i was gonna say i generally think joe coy is funny He's a professional comedian, like, 20 years in the game or something like that. Right? Yeah. He's not, like, a new untried talent or something, right? Yes. Something wasn't clicking that night. Can't all be winners. I already tried to throw his writers under the bus, too. Which yeah. he did. Yeah, not the thing you should be doing. I think he's primarily known for, like, making fun of his own Filipino mother, so. Yes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> right. The accent and everything. You know, you're in a room full of celebrities and you're not used to making fun of celebrities. Maybe... Stick to what you know. Yeah. Make fun of your mom, you mean? <laughs> he he kind of started doing it. He started doing like jokes about his mom in that accent. Like that's his thing. I don't know if that necessarily worked. 
I was talking to somebody about this today. When you're Ricky Gervais, you can kind of get away with this, right? Enter a room, be very sharp with your comedy and goad and roast. And even he has had his issues, but he's Ricky Gervais. But when it's Joe Coy, who's known for doing a Filipino accent, making fun of his mom, when you start making fun of celebrities, it, I guess it didn't go over well, right? I mean, I feel like that's a fine art, roasting people and yeah. hosting an awards show. And there's a very delicate balance, and I feel like he did not strike it at all. And the way he coped with it was pretty cringe, Terrible. too, where he's like, oh, the stuff that you're laughing at was the stuff I wrote. The stuff that's not funny was my writers. It was pretty cringe the way he handled it. But Paul Giamatti, Davine Joy Randolph both won. Kind of a nice little surprise there for this movie. Paul Giamatti hit up in and out afterwards, which is kind of funny. Awesome. <laughs> Overrated. Oh, yeah. I forgot that you don't really like it now. <laughs> it's fine, but it didn't live up to like the three the decades hype. of fucking hype I'd heard before ever actually trying it. You know what's funny? After we went together, I didn't feel like this was true until you said it, that it was so salty. Yeah, man. Maybe it was just the two times we went. We went twice. I wanted to give it a fair shot. I was like, you know what? I've heard so much about it, and I'm not going to be like a stuck-up New York asshole. I'm going to fucking try in and out again. And uh, disappointed a second time. <laughs> All right. The second time was kind of your fault, though. You got the shit without All the- right, I heard some weird shit that someone told me was good. Like one of those special- Protein wrap? Come on. I love a protein wrap. Like <laughs> not a great call. It was some secret menu bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it was some secret menu bullshit. All right. Well, okay. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. I've been eating this thing for 30 years and I love it. I can't have this slander. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still ride or die for in and out though. I don't know. I think there's like three better fast food burgers in New York alone. Like, Okay. I let's not talk about the hold lovers. Let's go. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, if it's good enough for Paul Giamatti, it is good enough for me. All right, fair enough. Way to tie it back into the topic of the podcast. Okay. Before we get into this movie, what did your guys' familiarity with Alexander Payne? I'm going to torpedo my credibility a second time on the podcast and actually say none. I don't know that I've actually seen any of his stuff. I know that sounds insane because I've literally heard of all his movies, but I don't know that I've seen- so you've never seen Sideways? I don't think I have. Oh. I think the only other two movies I've seen in Alexander Payne's filmography as a director is probably Sideways and- Election? Election. I've not seen Nebraska or Downsizing. For Alexander Payne, I thought I had a pretty big blind spot with him, but I've seen most of his stuff, actually. I just- didn't remember that he directed most of them. <laughs> like, I've seen Election. I've seen About Schmidt. I've seen Sideways. I've seen The Descendants. I've seen Nebraska. I've seen Downsizing. I just haven't seen Citizen Ruth. So I don't know what that says about him as a director, but they're all pretty good movies. I think Downsizing is probably the exception. I didn't really like Downsizing that much, but all the other ones are quite good and, uh, I just remember The Descendants because Jim Rash, the dean from Community, yes. won an Oscar for that movie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, I remember that too. You were asking, like, what does that say about him as a director? Does it mean he's just doing wildly different things in every movie? Does he not have distinct auteur-type style? Like, what do you think? Like, what's the answer? I don't know. It's just a, not a director I think about a lot. But he has a very distinct style and flavor for his movies. So it's definitely not the variance of his directorial output, right? I think it's more... I don't know. He just doesn't stick in my mind that much. I'll add into this. I was going to say that I've mentioned the movies I've watched, but I don't actually like really remember them very well. Like, And then maybe that's why I don't really think about 
Alexander Payne too much is because like, you know, I've seen Sideways and I remember liking it. I've seen Election. I've seen The Descendants and both Sideways and Descendants were big Oscar movies during those years. And I remember them being good. I just don't really remember them, right? My only connection, the only thing I really remember from Sideways is that I've actually been to that restaurant, right? Like the one where they eat mainly at in that movie. That's my biggest connection to like an Alexander Payne movie. The holdovers. So did you guys see this in theaters or on streaming? Because it is streaming on Peacock now. So No, I saw this on streaming. I actually saw this um, when it was first released all the way back in November. So yeah, it's been a while since I've seen this one. (laughs) I saw this back in September and my flight home from Toronto International Film Festival got delayed. So I was like... I'm going to squeeze one more movie in. And it was The Holdovers. I wasn't that excited about it. The Milu is not that interesting to me. But I'm glad I stuck around because uh, a lot of things I did like about this movie. But I will say that I didn't quite like it as much as a lot of people, a lot of other people are saying how much they like it. This is like a critical darling. People love, 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 love this movie. I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I'm one of those people that love, love, love this movie. Totally fair. I love that it almost feels like a, a movie from a different time, right? I mean, it's very, like, it's Whoa. a period drama. It's pretending to be, so it's I pretending can see to why be, you're right? saying that. It's a period drama. I don't want this word to be taken wrong. It feels like a simpler movie, right? Like, it doesn't feel as complex as maybe something like a Killers of the Flower Moon, right? But I think that's part of its charm. I like the characters in it. I love the three main performances from Giamatti, Sessa, and Randolph. I like the journey that they go through. I like that it's part coming of age, part man in probably what in his mid-50s, growing pains of that, and then the story about this grieving mother, right? I think it all works together. Ultimately, I really love this movie. This turning out to be probably my favorite Alexander Payne movie that I've seen, and maybe one I'll actually remember this time. What about you, Mir? I enjoyed it as well, but I agree with your guys' sense that it's a bit of like a smaller movie, a smaller scale. It's not as showy as like a zone of interest or something like that. It's not as heavy, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's a little circumscribed. It feels a little maybe small. I enjoyed it, certainly, but you kind of saw where it was going from frame one, right? I don't think this is a movie that you can hate. Yeah, I think it's hard to hate. Easy to enjoy. Because it is a lot of fun. It's warm. It's like a feel-good movie, but does nothing like surprising. I'd be unsurprised, Derek, if this also goes on the list of Alexander Payne movies you forgot you watched. <laughs> Eventually, you mean? Yeah. And not to say it was bad at all. It wasn't. I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it. But it's not thorny enough to really make that much of an impression. I think that's absolutely fair. I think it does have a leg up just because it's a Christmas movie. So I wouldn't mind watching this like every Christmas. It's definitely like one of those cozy feel good kinds of movies what about every christmas see this <laughs> home alone die hard there's so many other christmas movies you want to sprinkle in there but i get what you're saying yeah but like you could only watch die hard home alone elf so many times right it's nice to have a new one in the canon some new classics okay yeah it's like a mariah carries all i want for christmas is you, you know? <laughs> yeah it's like that rare modern thing that slips into the otherwise hidebound canon all right I'm into it. I mean, I will really knock it for not being unpredictable enough. This hits very, very familiar beats, and I'm okay with that. And I certainly liked it more than I thought I would. This prep school setting, New England setting, I just wasn't that interested in it, and it didn't really speak to me. But when I watched it, I had a great time with it. Reminds me a little of licorice pizza in that sense of like not looking forward to that 
particular 70s milieu having no nostalgia for the period or the place yeah and then eventually really liking it okay that's fair that's a good comparison although i did like licorice pizza more i think that movie <laughs> is a little thornier and it has a little more uh teeth to it than this oh yeah i agree licorice pizza is like a top 10 of the year and i don't think this is for me do you want to just give like a really brief synopsis? I know you kind of started going into it, but you want to give a brief synopsis before we get into specific story details? This is a period place taking place in uh, 1970s New England at the Barton Academy. Paul Giamatti's Paul Hunnam is a really strict classics professor who does like some political maneuvering among the faculty, gets chosen to take care of the children who are stuck at the academy over Christmas break, the holdovers. So initially he has a set of four kids to take care of with the sort of final surprise addition of Dominique Sessa's Angus Tully, a troubled but intelligent student in his classics class. And so uh, eventually the other four students are able to leave and spend their Christmas vacation at a ski lodge. But Mr. Hunnam is unable to reach Angus's parents by phone. So Angus is forced to stay for the holidays on campus, essentially alone with Mr. Hunnam and Mary Lamb, the Barton head cook who recently lost her son in the Vietnam War. So one of the other students' dads has like a helicopter and he comes and whisks all the kids away to the ski retreat. They have to contact all the parents to get their permission and they can't get a hold of Angus's mom and stepdad to allow him to go on that trip. I actually got the biggest laugh out of that. It was very funny. Yeah. So, like, this whole thing, I didn't watch the trailer. I didn't know anything about the movie going into it other than, like, oh, the yeah. basic premise. I thought it was like a Breakfast Club thing, right? Yeah. Like, I so thought it was gonna all be like the kids all the were going to be important. Yeah, I thought all the kids were going to be important and they were going to play off each other. The holdovers, the holdovers are the kids. And then when he's left by himself... I died laughing. <laughs> it was very funny. A little bit out of pity because I just felt so bad for this kid. Oh, how awful, dude. And listen, shout out to Jason Smith. He's like the football kid who's yeah, dad yeah, yeah. owns He's the helicopter. Great. What a good guy thing to do. You know what? You're like, you're stuck with a bunch of kids you don't know from your boarding school. And you're just like, you know what? Fuck it. All of you come to my ski lodge. That's a cool thing to do. Not everybody yeah. would do that, right? Yeah. He yeah, could have yeah. easily <laughs> flown away and left the rest of them holding the bag. So, you know, good kid. So I think Dominic Sessa is the standout in this. He's so good for his very first on-screen role. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's crazy. That's wild. So he was one of the students at the boarding school they were filming at, and he auditioned for the role. And Oh, that's crazy. Got, isn't that crazy? It's so cool. That's very cool. And he's great in this. All right, so Paul Giamatti just won the lead actor for comedy or musical at the Golden Globes, and he's really good in this. But I don't want to sound mean, but I feel like he could do this role in his sleep. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Don't like, think it was that challenging for him. I mean, it's a little unfair to gauge a performance how much an actor is performing rather than how good he is, because he is really, really good in this. Yeah. But this is, like, totally within his wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Is it the eye, Jeff? Do you think the eye did most of the work? <laughs> I wonder how they did that. Do you think it was CG? Yeah, I don't know. But it's a very unique trait to this character, right? This kind of like lazy eye that he has. Dude, they laid it on thick with Paul Hunnam. I think they <laughs> gave him one too many maladies or something. Like it was a really big pity party for him. He's an alcoholic. He smells like 
alcohol because he's drinking all the time. Oh, he yeah. has a lazy eye, probably a virgin. He's stuck at this boarding school he's been his whole life. You gotta make him smell like fish, too, from, like, a gland disorder? <laughs> Come on, man. It's too much, I think. Yeah, it's pretty rough. I think the gland disorder does kind of explain a lot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because even the kid goes, oh, no wonder you're scared of women, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Even the kid puts together, right? And it's like, oh, okay, you can see how this guy... It plays into his neuroses. Yeah. ...end up exactly like this, even if he didn't start that way, right? Yeah. You know, he's a teacher, right? Like, that's essentially the character he's playing. But at the beginning of the movie, he's very much a teacher that's distanced even from his own students, very much not sympathetic towards them. He thinks he's pushing them by making everything as hard as possible. I don't think he changes that aspect of himself by the end of the movie, but I think this interaction with the Angus character does change him to be a little bit softer, right? It'll be a little bit more connected to like other humans, which I did like that aspect about this character. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole arc of the movie, right? I mean, yeah. at the beginning, he hates his students and they hate him right back, right? Mm-hmm. He thinks they're all like, I don't know, I guess stuck up, entitled, spoiled rich kids with no love for learning at all. And he also despises apparently much of his faculty, his boss. Uh, he's a real curmudgeon. Yeah. I mean, he's such an abrasive character, but that's where a lot of the humor lies, right? Like, he's oh yeah, such a jerk to his students. And, you know, the whole point is that he makes a connection with Angus, Dominic Sessa's character, and he's the only one that sees him in a new light by the end of the movie, right? And that's, like, yeah. the connection that they form is great. Yeah, because those kids come back, right, from their trip, and they're still, like, yeah, they're still making like, fun oh, of him, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I think he's a hard ass. I think he's, like, the worst thing. Spoils for the end of the movie, you know, like, he gets removed from the school, right? Paul Giamatti's character no longer teaches there because yeah. of the events in the movie, and the kids are, like, totally get it, right? Versus Dominic Sess's character really understands why and, like, is appreciative of what he does for him. I think the other standout in this is Divine Joy Randolph. She's Absolutely, so yeah. good in this. And, you know, I was a little worried in the beginning, like, what direction they were going to take the character, because I feel like you easily could have had her been, like, the stock black character in the movie. Mammy character. Yeah, mammy character, but she brings, like, a real humanity to the role with her grief and her introspection, and it's not a very, like, showy performance. It's a very sad. Very interior. Yeah. Yeah, very interior performance, and I really, really liked her in this. She was definitely my favorite, I think, part of the movie and my uh-huh. favorite character. And like I said, I think she was like kind of the standout just because I haven't really seen her in much either. You know, like I recognize Paul Giamatti and I recognize her, but I don't actually remember if I've seen much of what she's been in. So like she was definitely a standout for me. Mm-hmm. I echo all the things you said. I think, you know, having to play this grieving mother who not only grieving, but has to be constantly reminded because her son went to this school that she works at. Mm hmm. There's a point where they show the little like funeral or remembrance scene, right, for yeah. her son. You definitely feel for that character. Yeah. Maybe because it's the 1970s or maybe because of like her position as head chef or that she's got this son who is already like old enough to be drafted. But I thought she was older than she is. The actress is still like relatively young. young. She's 37. Yeah. Yeah. She's 37. She's our age. <laughs> I don't know. It feels like a role for kind of an older woman, maybe. But I guess, I don't know if the character she's playing is supposed to be her age. She could easily have, you know, a kid who's 18 or whatever. But I just was surprised when I found out her age. And I will say, I'd never thought about that, right? Like, she never looks too young. I never questioned that she'd have an older child. I don't know. Maybe it was just her performance that I was just really captured by. I mean, yeah. And it's not like it's implausible or anything. I was just surprised. I really like that one scene where... 
Paul and Mary are connecting. And Paul's talking about Mary's son, who I think he had as a student for a semester. Yes. He was like, oh, he was a great <laughs> kid, very insightful. And then Mary's like, uh-huh, he hated you. He said you were a real <laughs> asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. No one lets him off the I hook. told you, insightful. There's like so many really tender and great scenes. I think there's great interactions between all of our characters like together but then each of them i think get moments with each other that are great thinking mm-hmm. about giamatti and sessa scene like in the liquor store right i think that's where he first reveals what happened to giamatti's character like in college it, just the stuff at the party i thought was really great yeah the scene with randolph at the stereo seems so heartbreaking to me this person that just wants control of something but can't seem to keep it quite together at this party also just kind of the heartbreak of paul giamatti's character like put himself out there for this woman but to quickly learn that that's not the case of why this person is being so nice to him right yeah like her boyfriend comes home and that was a great face acting. That was a pretty moment. brutal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does a great job with that. That was excellent. Selling that disappointment, you know, like completely silently. That's good. She's like the, what, like assistant dean or something? I forget exactly what her job is, but she's one of their coworkers. It's Carrie Preston, who's like in a lot of stuff, right? Like you see her and you're like, oh, her. I don't know what you guys know her from. I guess I remember her as Arlene from True Blood. Arlene from <laughs> That's True Blood. What I remember her from, yes. The Good Wife. Yes, good wife. Her character's about to get her own spinoff on that. Elspeth. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's oh, is cool. that what that's about? I've yeah, seen ads yeah, for that yeah. show. I just Elspeth, didn't realize it was yeah. from The Good Wife. Okay, cool. She is married to Michael Emerson, who played Ben mm-hmm. on Lost. So, fun little fact there. So, she's the thwarted romantic interest there. She invites the holdovers to a Christmas party. Yeah. And I guess Paul Giamatti, you know, he initially thought perhaps this was romantic, and then he finds out it's not. She's just a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty brutal. (laughs) It's rough, yeah. What I also really like, going back to some of these interactions, is that they're really subtle, right? And they don't really linger on them too much. I think the ways Giamatti's character kind of sees himself in the Angus character, I think there's that moment where he realizes they're taking the same drugs, right? I think for depression. Yeah, for depression, yeah, yeah. That's a big aspect of Angus's character throughout this movie. He wants to get to Boston, and it's in order to see his dad it's the holidays of course you know if his mom's not going to be there of course you want to see your dad learn that his dad is in some kind of mental institution yeah so first we learn that his dad is deceased which is actually not true oh yes right? yes mm-hmm. so at first it's introduced that his father has passed away but i guess i don't know the shame of mental illness in the family there's a lot of stigma against it so you know I, I, he didn't want to get into his business so that's what he tells people his biological father's dead but in fact, his biological father's in a mental institution, and his mother has remarried. Mm-hmm. And so the whole reason he ends up being a holdover is that his mother and stepfather want to celebrate their honeymoon, so they cancel like their Christmas trip to St. Kitts. Yeah, we're led to believe that he's dead, but then Angus keeps trying to sneak away, right? Sneak away to go see his dad. And this is part of the Hunnam character's growth in this movie, right? Maybe at the beginning of this movie, he would have never agreed to, like, accompany this kid on this journey to go see his dad. But, you know, he sympathizes with him and says, why wouldn't I let you see your dad? And it doesn't go well, right? Mm -hmm. It's a traumatic experience for the Angus character. And it's one that has further ramifications, you know, at the end of this movie. It's actually really heartbreaking. He's kind of pouring his heart out to his father, 
who you're not really sure how there the dad is, how much he's picking up and getting. And then he grabs a hold of his son's hand and is like, hey, son, I have to tell you something. And you're like, oh, okay. Maybe he's been picking up what his son's putting down. He's about to say something heartfelt, something got through. And then he just says, I think they're putting something in my food. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just brutal. And you can see the kid's face just collapse. That's a great little bit of face acting too when he just receives that death blow there. Throughout the movie, I believe, if I remember correctly, he tries to have conversations with his mom or says like, you know, his mom's going to take him to go see his dad. And it's kind of implied that maybe he's going to go take him to go see his grave during the holidays. But, you know, you learn that his mom doesn't want Angus to go see his dad because he might have an episode like this, right? What we're experiencing in this movie. So... So he doesn't actually do anything really shocking there, but apparently Angus slips him a snow globe as a Christmas present, and then the father has like a violent episode and tries to assault a member of the staff with the contraband item or whatever that he's not supposed to have. Um, and so this gets Angus in a bunch of trouble. Yeah. Yeah, and he's a kid who normally is already on the edge, kind of already been in trouble at this school. and He's been kicked out of three schools prior, yeah. and he's on his last straw, and so if he you know, gets in trouble again, he's going to go to some military academy and from there straight to Vietnam. Yeah. And then Paul Giamatti's character that comes in and saves him, right, admits that, you know, it wasn't even Angus's idea to go see his dad. It was his. Yeah. He covers up for him. He like falls on his sword and, you know, he sacrifices his career that he cherishes so much at Barton Academy and he's actually fired, right? And that's... And this is not yeah. just because of the relationship he's built up with Angus, but also because Angus lies for him at least twice. Yeah. Right? And this is actually a great scene. Angus is just kind of going stir-crazy and he starts running around the school. Mm-hmm. And Paul Giamatti's Hanum is chasing after him and eventually they get to the gym, which is off limits. Uh-huh. Hanum says, this is the Rubicon. Do not cross the Rubicon. <laughs> it's just really that's funny. That's such a great classics professor It is a really good line. It's exactly what a classics professor would say. The best part is Angus's returning line. He says, Alia Iacta S, the die is cast, which is what <laughs> Caesar says as he crosses the Rubicon. Right, so right, right. it's a great little character moment because Hunnam's like, okay, touche, you've been listening in class. Like, you know what's going on. Class, exactly. <laughs> you little dickhead. That's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. I love a little Roman history. So. Yeah. Angus is running in the gym, which is off limits. They just varnished the floor or whatever. So, like, they're not allowed to be yes. in the gym. <laughs> yeah. And so he proved the necessity of the restriction by dislocating his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, jumps on the vault, right? Like, the the spring-loaded vault, like the gymnastics thing. And he mm. goes crashing into the floor and he dislocates his shoulder. And that smash cut to them getting in the car is so funny. Funny, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hurry up, hurry! I am hurrying! I've been on thin ice already. If Woodruff finds out the facts won't matter, he'll make it my fault. It is your fault! You were supposed to be looking after me! I told you to stop! You said you washed your hands of me! No, I meant it metaphorically! Of course you meant it metaphorically! What were you gonna do? Actually go and wash your hands? This is the end. At first, I thought he was just pretending to be mm-hmm. injured just to wind Hunnam up. But then, yeah, after that cut, you're like, oh, no, he's really seriously hurt. <laughs> yeah. Hunnam has to, you know, obviously take him to the hospital. And if this is charged to insurance, Angus's parents will know about it. And then Hunnam gets in trouble for allowing their son, who he's supposed to be taken care of, to have injured himself over holiday break, right? So Angus does him a solid. He lies and says, oh, you know, it was all my fault. Let's just do it by cash. No need to pay by insurance. So he lies and he covers for Hunnam. Yeah. Um, which is like the first kind of bit. Yeah. The first sort of lie. 
And on the second, when they're in Boston, kind of walking around, just having a holiday, they run into one of Hunnam's old Harvard classmates. Mm. And this guy's like a successful statistics professor at Harvard. And Hunnam is teaching at this private academy, but he clearly doesn't have the academic career that lives up to that of his former peer. So he lies and Angus covers for him again. He lies for him again. Talks about the book he's writing and, you know, all of this. He pretends he's his nephew and he lies for him in front of this guy so he can save face. And Hunnam returns the favor in the end with his lie. I was going to say, that was also a very funny scene where he's trying to like bullshit his way out of what kind of book he was going to write. I thought that was really funny. It was really funny. Yeah. I think this movie is very tender. It's very heartfelt, but then also very funny. I think it's a good character study of these three characters. I agree that there isn't something that really sticks, but I just really enjoyed my time watching this movie. It's fun. It's very heartwarming. It's very stock, like curmudgeon gets his edges sanded down over the course of the movie, as good as it gets or something like that. But it's well done. The acting is great. And then you really feel for all these characters by the end. So I don't disagree with you. I did like it. My remove from the film is just that I think it's a little too cute by half. And I mean, that's part of the pleasure of the movie. Like, it's a character piece, right? But a lot of the dialogue does seem overly manufactured. It's very cute with the 70s aesthetic. It has the old studio logos come up before and, like, the old-time credits that play before the movie. It's just very, very cute. And it seems like a little forced down my throat so that kind of just pushes me away a little bit but Mm. i feel like that's a me thing not a anyone else thing but i did enjoy this movie a lot more than i thought i would is there anything else specific you guys want to talk about the movie no it's another one of those probably wouldn't have seen it but for the pod and i'm glad i did sort of like you jeff where like you just barely snuck it in and are glad you did i'm glad i snuck this one in as like a last of 2023 we, you know, we chose this one, even though it released a while ago, that is a big awards contender for this year. We wanted to make sure, I think this is a good one to see before we do our top tens, right? Because it mm-hmm. potentially could be there. But also, it is a little serendipitous, is right after the Golden Globes, and you've already mentioned that Giamatti and Randolph won for the respective actor and supporting, supporting actress, actress in yeah. a comedy slash musical i mean this is pretty early it's still two months away like what are their chances though right for winning an oscar you know one of the things that golden globes does it does split between comedy slash musical and drama and you know on the flip side when it comes to male actor it was killian murphy right that won in oppenheimer for drama do you know who won for the drama side for supporting female? They don't split supporting into drama or comedy. Because no, both Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone won. Yes, because that's lead. Supporting doesn't break out into comedy oh, or so drama. Oh, so supporting doesn't yes, break out. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, you're right. It's supporting actor in a motion picture and supporting actress in a motion That's really interesting. Hmm. I guess if that's the case, is she the front runner? I mean, I, I guess at the moment she is, but is there anyone else you think that could come and contest? So the other nominees in this category were Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, Julianne Moore for May, December, Emily Bunt for Oppenheimer, Rosamund Pike for Saltburn, and Jodie Foster for Nyad. I think she's probably the favorite here. Yeah. Dave Enjoy Randolph. Really? Yeah, I think she's getting a lot of momentum for Best Supporting. Unfortunately, I think Paul Giamatti has no shot for best actor here. Against Killian Murphy, yeah, I think I kind he of agree on benefited significantly for breaking out into comedy or musical, right? For the Golden Globes, which yeah. the Oscars don't do. 
Ah, okay. He definitely won, I think, because of that distinction. But I think Killian Murphy's definitely going to take it for Best Actor yeah. coming in the Oscars. You know, there's still a couple other rewards between now and, and the Oscars, right? We still have the SAGs. We still have some of those writer-producer ones, director ones, uh, the BAFTAs, right? I don't know if the BAFTAs is always a great indicator, kind of see what people are thinking. But yeah, I guess I never realized it that they didn't split it. So in my mind, I do think that she's at least the front runner at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for best actor, I don't think anyone even comes close to Killian Murphy. In terms of momentum or in terms of like what yeah. you actually think was the best performance? I think both. Okay, fair. I think Bradley Cooper is pretty much DOA for Maestro, as upset as he is over that, I think. Mm-hmm. Zero fucking buzz for that. I really liked Leo in Killers of the Flower Moon, but Me too. I don't think that's going to get the Oscar. It just doesn't seem to be any kind of momentum. Like, no one's really talking no, about no, it, no, right? No, 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 no. He had to pull a Revenant to win the Oscar. I actually think this performance is better than The Revenant. Yeah, I agree The too. Revenant is just, oh, I'm trying so hard for the Oscar, and maybe that's why they gave it to him. And so this is the issue with a lot of the awards. It's like, oh, whoever's due for one, and yeah. not really whoever's yeah. doing the best performance. We've talked about this a couple of times, and you just always end up playing catch-up with people's careers. Yeah, exactly. And the doing next like year, fucking- right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing like weird career awards and stuff because you never gave people their due when they were due. You're yeah. just always like chasing your own mistakes instead of just rewarding the best performance of the year. Absolutely. Jeff, have you seen All of Us Strangers? I have not. Are yeah. Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal good in that movie? Oh, I haven't seen it either. That's the only one that I would wonder. That's a movie that a lot of people still also haven't seen, right? Mm. Or maybe awards voters might have probably have seen it, but I feel like a lot yeah. of the general population hasn't seen it. So like maybe that's also a reason why like no one's really talking about it because it's just not out there to talk about yet. I will say that Paul Giamatti is probably distant second. Yeah, like if it is going to be a second, it would be him. Do you think Bradley Cooper wants to win an actor one or a director one more? I feel like he's trying know. really hard to win the director. I think he really wants that. I mean, I don't really like Maestro that much. <laughs> if he was going to win, he should have won for A Star is Born. An infinitely better movie and an infinitely better performance. Because he directed and starred in both of those. Mm-hmm. He's laying it on so thick in Maestro. Yeah. The prosthetics, the accent. He's just trying too hard and... Other people are like, well, you can't blame someone for trying too hard. But when your try hard results in something like this. Like, is it bad? Is it not like the performance? Or is it just, ooh, he's trying too hard? You know what I mean? I think it's bad. I think the movie actually is bad. So it's tried too hard in service of something that's actually bad. Well, for me, at least. I think that's fair. We're going to your opinion here. Yeah, I can't say anything because I haven't seen it yet. I do want to try to watch it before we do our top 10. Won't affect your top 10. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know if it would, but I guess I should, in good conscience, maybe try to fit it into my schedule. But there are definitely other movies I want to watch before that. There's so many movies I have to see. The problem is someone said, and I think said this pretty well, that that movie might as well have just been about an accountant that looked like Leonard Bernstein, right? And, you know, I actually thought Tar, in one line, sold more of the genius of Leonard Bernstein than this entire movie. Mm. Just the reverence that Kate Blanchett had for Leonard Bernstein and selling that he was her mentor, you know, mm-hmm. from last year. I just didn't really like this movie that much. That might be the only words you're going to get out of Jeff when it comes to talking about Maestro. (laughs) I doubt we're doing an episode on it, guys. I don't know. Maybe the holdovers can pull a coda 
and pull out best picture that's what i was gonna ask earlier does it feel like a little bit like a coda to you like in in terms of feel good i felt like coda was also a movie that wasn't gripping yeah had a lot of teeth like you know we've been saying but it was also a feel good movie it did win best picture right that year people hate coda now or before (laughs) people hate coda because it was nominated for best picture and it won I think that's the reason that people hate it. If it was just like another run-of-the-mill Apple TV movie that came and went, it would have been fine. I like Coda. I think it's a pretty good movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very, very enjoyable. I think the Holdovers slots into like the same mold. But the Holdovers doesn't even have the disability angle of Coda, which is part of, I think, what made it so fascinating for people and part of what like built up that buzz right but what about the lazy eye and the glam disorder okay then my question is theoretically if this one best picture like would it suffer the same fate it would absolutely be reviled oh man because i think this year is far better than 2021 at least the nominees yeah 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 you know imagine the conniption people would have if this beat Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon. I think people would be pretty mad. I think I would be a little mad. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, I like this movie. It's totally an enjoyable yeah, movie. Yeah. You know? And that and, says nothing about that you hate this movie, right? Or you didn't no, like this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. right? It's yeah. just you have an opinion about what you think is the best movie. And I don't disagree. There's definitely other potential best picture winners that I would want to see win over this. Well, I just wanted to say with Coda, the fact that it beat... Drive My Car, Mm. The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Licorice Pizza. That's crazy to me. I think that's why people are mad. And I think if this repeated with the holdovers, it would be the same. Potentially, yeah. All right. Well, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com. And you can also find me at Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors. What about you guys? Uh, You can find me in those weird tunnels under New York City. What is up with that, guys? (laughs) What about you, Derek? You can find me still updating my letterbox. Oh, yeah. At the wrong daic. Just check out my letterbox. I think I added like a couple more movies since we last talked. So definitely check that out. Failing my New Year's resolution, but I'm going to join you, Derek. (laughs) I will join you at some point this year. Okay. (laughs) But if you liked this podcast, the easiest way to support our show is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Google, or any of the other popular apps. If you are listening to us on Apple or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our voices out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on Alexander Payne's The Holdovers, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail, and sometimes we read it out on the pod. So... We will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.